0: maybe it is as actually as simple as the way you put it, which is that there is a tension between the two. And I think maybe he's comfortable with that tension because if I can put my own words into into Labriola's mouth, it is really just a matter of science depending on our needs because our needs are actually socially created and they are distinct in different periods and that they don't just build upon one another in succession toward a thing, but they could build up to a point and then a rupture from that point will actually, we'll find we have new needs and new science will be necessary to, to meet them. So it's maybe tele- teleological, but it is dialectically. So right And the, my favorite example of that being that history moves like the way Lenin says, history moves forward and upward, but not in a straight line within spirals. And all of that was just leading up to, I just wanted to make the spirals metaphor again. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I, uh, um, generally agree with everything that's been said at least the framing of of everything but um if i could maybe change direction slightly i did have one um uh, i did want to ask everyone uh their thoughts on uh near the end of this chapter he mentions um capital as being this kind of uh um I can't remember. let me find the page real quick i think i'm nearby um Yes. Marx, finally, he, uh, he carried his theory to its full conclusion only in one case and that is capital. And I think that's when he's, uh, starting to kind of, uh, um, dig a little bit deeper into this, uh, philosophy combined into science idea. I don't have uh, a ton of notes, uh, but just from, uh, my memory of reading through it, it seemed like there was a little bit of, uh, um, I guess you would say contradiction in how, um, he framed. um, philosophy combining into science, you know, being the same thing. Um, Because there is another uh, passage where he mentions that, like, the kind of separation of the two is what allows for the progression of science. Um, And so uh, what does that mean for um, uh, kind of Marx and Capital and the, um, like, are the two ideas separate or are they not?
1: Wait, say that again. Which two ideas?
0: Oh, philosophy and
1: science. Got it. Man, this is so good. Such great discussion because I think it, it, it this is like it, it, this is all of the questions, <laughs> uh, we're raising here. I think come together into like, this is what Labriola is saying. Um, to go all the way back, Ryan, I, I think yeah, at least in some sense, you're right that I, I, I read them, uh, similar to you as being in the anti-Kant gang, but, um, Only sort of. I think he's in the Hegelian gang, or sees himself in the Hegelian gang, who, you know, uh, Hegel read Kant, uh, and taught Kant, and studied Kant uh, whenever he was um, uh, a a German uh, professor of philosophy. Um, And he was dealing with the problems that Kant left us with, which is a uh, perhaps in the deprecating uh, sense, uh, a metaphysical position of separation between subject and object that the the phenomena p- belongs to the subject, the noumena is the unknown, unknowable thing in itself. Um, and this is a sort of a, a, a metaphysical position that the subject is in. Um, I think that a major part of Hegel's project was elaborating this, you know, uh western mystical tradition of uh, we exist as a projection of god separated from god and our purpose in existence is to come to know god and ourselves and in so doing reuniting with god and i think that this Operates on the level of, of metaphor with phenomena and noumena and the process of science as the perfect philosophy uh, of uh, being that uh, empirical investigation into the world coming to know ourselves and the world as subjects investigating the unknown unknowable noumena that we are uh, intrinsically separated from is a process of coming to know God and coming into, into a position of being reunited with God. But science is not this sort of like absolute, uh, eternal thing. It itself is a thing that is socially and thus historically constructed, uh, that, uh, develops across time and across place and is conditioned by the needs, uh, the material needs of the, uh, the people who have constructed it and, uh, and wield it. Which comes to the point, I think, which the reason I think I I was, I had so much pause about his use of the word genetic as uh, being linked to dialectical. Uh, I think what gives makes me worried about that use of the word is uh, thinkers that were subsequent to him, Nietzsche, and um, honestly, more importantly, along these lines, Foucault of doing, um, uh, genealogies of ideas their engagement with the uh, coming to understand the world and our position as human beings uh, within it is to conduct precisely what he's saying a genealogy of ideas but they do so in a very anti-materialist way in a way that i think he would disagree with uh, that as if ideas simply floated in the ether and then created a material world uh, out of them as if no one ever had to labor to produce food that they ate, uh, or, or that someone else ate, um, or, or had to labor to uh, produce themselves or reproduce uh, uh, themselves and society, uh, as if uh, ideas are totally detached—not detached from, but uh, the order of operations, the w- what underlies the uh, which one underlies the other. Uh, uh, Nietzsche and and Foucault see the ideas as constructing. Uh, our realities rather than the other way around. Um, that's what gives me pause about his use of the word genetic, but also uh, I believe that he was writing these ideas pre-Nietzsche? Uh, pre well, is that true? Definitely pre-Foucault. Uh, uh, and Foucault is definitely the one who brings this uh, tradition forward uh, out of Nietzsche uh, m- into much more prominence that we see all around us today. It's a very anti-materialist genealogy um genetic tradition uh which which then finally i think comes back to the point of i I think teleology i i think okay so i hesitate here because in the next chapter he starts talking about um uh monism um and uh this actually i think may reintroduce an external uh teleology uh, to to his approach to things, but but setting that aside, what what comes up in chapter six, we can just talk about this directly as let's ignore external te- teleologies, and we can still be left, I think, uh, by Laveryola's uh, approach with an internal teleology, which is to say that uh, society and history are constituted of human agents, people who act, uh, um, and human action is necessarily, by definition, uh, teleological. It is directed toward an end. Uh, no matter, you, we, you could even, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a highly reasoned or purposeful individual for this to be the case. If I pick up this can and take a drink out of it, it is uh, because I am trying to achieve the end of putting the liquid into my stomach um, by way of my mouth. Um, that So my action, my choice, my choices here are directed toward an end. I am trying to accomplish something. Uh, it is, my action is teleological. Um, so I think in that sense, teleology uh, doesn't necessarily have to be located outside of a human agency, but rather we can see that uh, uh, history is teleological in the sense that it is moving towards something, whether that something is uh, uh, a uh, in a metaphysical sense outside of humanity and pre-existing our shadowy sensory perceptions or not. Uh, we can just talk about the fact that human beings are striving toward a thing. And therefore our society and hence history is teleological in that sense. And, 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 and I think to the point of, uh, you know, it being conditioned or science uh, su- suited to our needs. Uh, I think that's where he makes that sharp distinction between a Nietzschean or Foucaultian genealogy in saying that it is necessarily rooted to a material reality of human beings having material needs of food, shelter, and uh, society, uh, etc., and reproduction and and whatever else. We have material needs, and thus the things that we do are directed toward uh, satisfaction of material needs.